Resplendent and unfading is wisdom, and she is readily perceived by those who love her and found by those who seek her. The book of wisdom is chock full of riches. We find it in our scriptures today, but all throughout that book you'll find wonderful insights. It's really kind of a flowering of the entire Old Testament. From chapter 6, verse 17, the first step towards wisdom is an earnest desire for discipline. Somehow discipline, self-control, the following of God's ways is going to be key to obtaining this great gift of wisdom. Then care for discipline is love of her, and love means the keeping of her laws. Observing the laws is the basis of incorruptibility. All of this is the foundation. You and I, when we follow God's laws, we become wise. We enter into communion with him. Our will is the same as his will, and when those two wills collide together and stay together, wisdom is poured in. And so, so wisdom is something above being smart. It's above being educated. You know, the angels do not have wisdom unless it's given them from above. And the fallen angels, Lucifer, the most brilliant of all, the most brilliant intellect God ever created, yet without grace and without wisdom, has nothing. He can't perceive. He can't see into the depths of the mysteries of God. But you and I, humble, lowly creatures that we are, by obedience to the commands of God, are joined to the divine intellect. He joins us, knowing the full knowledge of the future. He guides us in pathways that we could not have seen for ourselves, and he blesses us in ways we couldn't have examined. When you and I, by obedience, unite ourselves to God, wisdom is poured in. So the scriptures will tell us that a great number of wise men is the blessing of any nation. We need that wisdom, not just smart people, wise people. And wisdom comes from communion with God. Wisdom is obtained by this union with the will of God. Now, evidently, wisdom is much lacking today. We see that all around us. We see it in the press. Perhaps most clearly, we see it in the last few weeks in terms of the election. There's been a great lack of wisdom. All kinds of troubles going on here. The results of this presidential vote sadly look very sketchy. I don't know any more than you do, but I find the results troubling. Mail-in ballots sent out to people without their request. Now, you're always able to request a ballot. You're always able to ask for an absentee ballot. But ballots were sent out to people who made no request without any identification, without any signature, to people who no longer live in the residence and people who have died. It spells disaster for the honesty of a vote. We find that now there's computer glitches in many, many counties. And you say to yourself, that sounds familiar. Do you guys remember Dieselgate? Remember when Volkswagen put in a special program in their diesel computers so that they could trick the EPA, they could trick those who were examining how, how efficient and how clean burning they were? They put in a special trick in the computer program. It's starting to sound fishy. So you find yourself with step by step, you say, this can't be right. Changing the due date for ballots so that you don't have to vote on the day up, doesn't have to be postmarked by the day, doesn't have to arrive by that date, it can arrive three days late. That spells disaster. We've had four years to prepare for this election. We've had months to ask for an absentee ballot, and now to be stretching the day, something just doesn't sound right here. Have we declined that far as a people? Did you know 50 years ago, a new car manual actually included instructions on how to adjust the valves? Now the new car manuals tell you not to drink the contents of the battery. Have we fallen that far? Is it really like that? Would people really cheat on an election? 
There is a political party that stands for unapologetically for the fundamental right to kill a baby. Would they cheat? That same party rejects the Ten Commandments and wants them pulled down from any public monument where they exist. That's a problem. That party has no moral code. Again, we find ourselves in a very strange position here. They don't even accept the legal code of behavior. Many in that party want the police to be defunded. All of these are problems. They undermine the stability of a nation. And so you and I want every legal vote to be counted. We accept whatever outcome it is, but every legal vote needs to be counted. These are strange times. These are difficult times. And you and I recognize the problems that are set before us. In so many ways, we lack wisdom. And we lack wisdom because we've broken the moral law. The moral law is very clear. Here's how God teaches us. Here's what he does in order to guide us. We find ourselves in a position now where we've ended up walking in darkness on so many levels. We've entered in long ago now. We entered into a approval of immorality. It began with contraception, the approval of that separation of love and life. That happened back in the 60s. Then we opened the door for unlimited abortion in the 1970s. Then we went on from there to support no-fault divorce, the ending of a marriage by whoever wants the marriage the least. Then we took a, we kind of made a wink and a, turned a blind eye to all the cohabitation that started in the 80s and the 90s. Then we, we really didn't want to see gay marriage, but we didn't have a leg to stand on anymore. And now we find ourselves in a world that is wrapped in darkness. We find ourselves with public schools having publicly taught the rejection of what you and I hold dear in terms of morality. We find ourselves with a culture that no longer shares in the wisdom of God because it no longer follows the law of God. The law of God and the wisdom of God are linked. So you and I have a lot of rebuilding to do. That's a long-term project, but it's going to start by, first of all, coming to Jesus Christ to know him in our hearts, to accept him as our Lord and Savior, to humble ourselves, confess our sins. Perhaps we've been swept away in the long years of darkness, decades of darkness that have, that have come upon us. But now it's time to accept Jesus, to repent of our sins, to confess them, to begin to practice the virtues, which means we root out the vices, we plant the virtues, we accept the mind of Christ. And what you'll experience is wisdom flows in. Not just knowledge, but wisdom. And God will guide your paths, clear away stones, make you wiser than your enemies, the scripture says. All this because you follow after his law. So we've got a lot to do with regard to wisdom. But what can we do in the short run? What can we do right now? We live in a society that's deeply fractured, deeply wounded. Yes, by the moral crisis, but in so many ways by the political crisis, and now by the violence that we've seen in the last six months. Elizabeth Mitchell wrote about this in The Catholic Thing. She wrote The Fate of a Nation. She writes from Milwaukee. She's a scholar. She runs a school. And she wrote about Milwaukee being ravaged by the riots that have become all too frequent. She wrote about this, and she says that her neighborhood, her neighborhood was breached because we were all asleep lulled into the new normal that we've come to accept in our country. She says, we boarded up our businesses and waited for the rioters. But when they breached the barriers, this time they didn't stop at the stores. They saved the last brick for our picture windows in private homes. They came into the neighborhoods in Milwaukee and began to break down windows. She's, they asked, did you feel afraid? And she said, no. She said, I felt 
indignant. And that's the right attitude. Not fear, indignation. That's the American value. Indignation at something that is entirely off the rails. And then she quotes to us the story of the midnight ride of Paul Revere, coming to us from Henry Wadsworth Longfellow. And in his great poem, his epic poem, he tells the story of Paul Revere. And in that time of the Revolutionary War, in the city of Boston, they knew that the British were coming, the Redcoats were coming. And it started off with the warning sign that would be in the tower of the Old North Church, one if by land and two if by sea. And the two lanterns were raised up in the tower, and Paul Revere set out on his midnight ride, calling out the British are coming. And Wadsworth Longfellow says, the fate of the nation was riding that night. Powerful words. The fate of the nation was riding that night. And so the rider set out and he called to the people and they gathered that, that night. They gathered together knowing the British were coming and in great heroism, they defended their new land. Well, you and I now have a situation where the brick has already been flung through our front window. And our response must be a cry of defiance and not of fear. If it's a cry only of fear, we're already captives. We've already lost our freedoms. Instead, it's one of defiance. That's the American attitude. That's something very significant here. Something profound, though, is taking place all over the land, and that is Americans are finding their voice, still a powerful voice, because it's the voice of liberty. And again, this American character runs deep. The stories of our forefathers must ring in our ears. When George Washington had the Continental Army camped out in Valley Forge in a long, cold winter, shivering shoeless in many cases, they were valiant heroes. When the Underground Railway with Harriet Tubman took care of those black slaves who were escaping, these are acts of heroism by our forefathers. And on and on we find the passing on of love of country through these models of greatness to a child's imagination is that simple, yet that profound. And these are the things that have to move us. These are interesting times. Sometimes the love of country calls for the ultimate sacrifice, defense for what is true and good and beautiful in our land. And when such a call comes, we know that our lasting home is in heaven, that our greatest of all patriots, we are loyal to the eternal king. And we find that both in faith and in country, we find there are many, many models for us from St. Maximilian Kolbe to blessed Franz Jägerstadter in Austria, and in so many ways, Edith Stein the same. And these are the great models, both of the church and of the country, of the greatness of the American spirit and the greatness of our faith. These are the things that are summoned for us. These are things that are empowered for us by the wisdom of God. So this is not a time of fear. This actually becomes a time of indignation. So you and I have to be courageous. The fate of the nation is riding on it. <laughs>